Uh, right now, I want to ask you a question. How are you doing? Wonderful. <laughs> Do you feel settled? Or are you feeling a bit anxious? Have you patiently been waiting for God to answer a prayer? Or have you been drawn to worry and fret? Do you feel like you've been trusting God in all your circumstances, or do you feel like you've just been trying to keep busy so you don't even pay attention to your circumstances? Are you confident about your future, or do you feel like it's sort of all dark ahead? Speaking of time zones and clocks, FYI, Portugal is an hour behind Spain. Because Spain wanted to stay one time zone all over, so they sort of did this weird time jump sort of thing. So um, in Portugal, 6.30 a.m., it's dawn. It's just that, like, it's a little dark, but it's starting to, you know, break. But in Spain, 6.30 a.m. is pitch black. It didn't really matter very much for me while I was walking my Camino uh, when I walked from Portugal into Spain uh, because there's lots of city lights and street lights along the way to guide you for the first hour or two, right? But this one morning, I had forgotten that I had walked into a very rural part of Spain. But I set out at 6.30 a.m. as normal, and I realized too late that I had made this mistake. As I heard this large wooden door click behind me and I didn't have the key to get back in, I had no choice but to walk out into the countryside with no lights at all except for my dinky little headlamp. Now, as I walked back onto the route of the Camino, it was a forest path called Ruta de Pedra y Agua, which means the path of stone and water. It's about a 6.8 kilometer path that leads downward into this very thickly wooded forest besides a river stream that once powered 51 individual water wheels for mills that the farmers used in the 1800s. But even with my headlamp full on, I could only see about three feet in front of me. Now within about 10 minutes, I realized it was really really dark. So that's a picture of just what my headlamp can glimpse ahead. I decided I really couldn't turn around because A, I'd be really wasting a lot of time, and B, I was afraid that I might bump into somebody coming down the path in the dark. So I continued to walk downward, taking each step with care, and a lot of scary movie scenes were running through my head. <laughs> I kept saying, I trust you, God, even with my own stupidity. I figured as long as I kept walking and, uh, and keeping the rushing water that I could hear, not see, which was just a few feet um, to my left, if I just could keep that on my left, I'd be okay. At one point, I felt, not saw, what I assumed was a very large owl that swooped down and I could feel its wings go on my head. 
I think it was startled because then I felt a very large presence of something standing in the woods next to me. I told myself it was a deer. And I didn't look its way because I figured if I saw eyes, it would be all over with. So for two hours, I walked in this total darkness with this dinky headlamp just giving me glimpses of my surroundings. So that when dawn finally broke, I didn't even realize it until I first looked upward towards the sky in a break in the trees. This morning, we are reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 1 through 7, and I ask you to stand with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how do we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father, we do come to you this morning hoping for a glimpse of you through the darkness of our own lenses. We come to you this morning um, taking a step to hear what you're saying to us, to open our hearts, to be transformed by your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to uh, be in each one of us working this word, massaging it into our hearts and our brains so that it becomes something that is useful, a tool that you can use to continue to our walk with you. So we give you this time, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So last week, if you were here, uh, we began a spiritual journey, uh, a pilgrimage uh, in a way, onward through the act of repentance. It was walking with God into our hearts to actually reveal to us or clear away the idols in our hearts. And these idols usually keep us from seeing God. In today's sermon, we are continuing this walk, but this time upward, to discover what it will take to walk into our futures with a sense of confidence and trust. Now, at this point in um, the Gospel of John, Jesus has actually walked into Jerusalem. Uh, We call it Palm Sunday now, but it was this triumphant, triumphant entry as he walked in on a donkey and people laid down palm branches all over the path so to honor him and yell Hosanna to welcome the king into Jerusalem. Now they walked into Jerusalem and Jesus and the disciples had retired to a house um, with this upper room. He then took off his robe and tied it around him and he washed the disciples' feet in preparation for the Passover meal, for the Passover celebration that they're all going to be doing. So at this point, Jesus tells them that he's going to prepare a way, a place at his father's house 
And it's sort of, he does this in a way to encourage them because he also tells them that a couple of them are going to betray him. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. Now this phrase, my father's house or my father's home was used by Jesus when he was 12 years old. Last week we talked about Mary and Joseph losing Jesus and having to go back into Jerusalem to find him and he says, why were you puzzled? I was in my father's house. They could actually see this temple from their upper room. But that didn't make sense to them. Now, some translations say, in my father's house are many rooms. The word Jesus uses here is the Greek word monet, which literally means dwelling places. He also uses this Greek word oikos for the word house or home, which usually can be translated as household or what we get as family, our family, who our family is. So you could translate it as this, there's lots of space for everyone in the family of God. Now, unfortunately, when we read this 2,000 years later, we've reduced this, this sort of phrase, what he's saying here is just to mean heaven. Uh, some translations, very old translations, translated that Monet as mansions. And we've actually latched on to that, and we have songs about it, and you've, you've sort of probably seen uh, pictures of it. And we've latched onto those mansions in a very little, literal way. And so we just read it as Jesus is building these palaces in heaven for all those who believe. Now that's not entirely impossible, but there's more to it than this. So just before this passage, as Jesus is washing their feet, he says, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. Jesus just told them that he was leaving them and that they couldn't follow him to where he was going. Jesus was shifting their physical um, reality the physical reality of a place where God was supposed to dwell, which was the temple, into the spiritual reality of God's household, a dwelling place where all the family of God would come to be with him. There's more than enough space to dwell with and be part of God's household or family. This winter, I started a class for our middle school and our junior high kids, and it's based on the spiritual realm. They had lots of questions during one lesson on a Wednesday night, so we picked up this uh, series by the Bible Project called, it's seven-part series called The Spiritual Realm. And in it, it explains the heavenly realms, angels, demons, and the Satan, or the devil. It also explains how ancient people understood the, the, the spiritual realm. Now, in one of the videos, it explains how uh, the devil rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angels with them, and they all were cast down into the earth to create chaos and hatred in all the nations. 
And this is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, the only way to defeat these evil rulers and these spiritual authorities in this unseen world is to enter into that spiritual realm and defeat the root cause of it, which is sin and death. So here's Jesus telling them, I'm leaving, but he also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me he was actually talking about becoming the way, the way to God's house. Only then could they follow him into the household of God, into God's family, to be with him. This way was the cross. Through the cross, Jesus defeated the the spiritual rulers and the spiritual authorities set against God, Through his death and his resurrection, he rendered sin and death powerless. This was the way he was going to bring new life. In the book of Hebrews, it says, so Christ now has become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect dwelling place in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. Jesus literally became the way for anyone to have Monet, dwelling places within the oikos, God's family. This was the true reality, not the physical things that they could see or hold on to, not the physical things that we see or believe or the truths that the world tells us. This is the real reality, the, 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 the physical, spiritual reality that, that Jesus did for us. This is who God is. This is what Jesus has done. This is the only way to life. And not just life eternal, because this is part of it, but life here and now with Jesus. Jesus walked into and through darkness so that we didn't have to. All we have to do is trust God's word and trust Jesus with that word. Now, I don't know about you, but trusting God feels like really hard work. Anybody with me? Right? Trusting God feels like very hard work, especially when we don't know the future, when we don't know what's ahead, when it feels a little bit murky and dark, and we only have this little dinky headlamp to light the way. I think our problem here is is that we don't like that trust is hard work. We want to trust God. I fully believe that I want to trust God with my whole heart. I really do believe that. But 
I also find myself tossing and turning at night, worrying and wondering, or chewing on my cuticles during the day because it's what I do. Instead of learning to trust God by learning to know and recognize his words and his ways, I think we get lazy and we learn and practice worry instead. So today, I want to walk through something that I see as a remedy for our lack of trust, a remedy for the way in which we can actually build trust and learn what it means to trust in God more fully. As I walked this last Camino, I got this picture of a process uh, God uses to build our trust. Here's this picture that God uh, has invited us all to walk this pilgrimage. Spiritually, it's a pilgrimage journey with God. And this picture gives us spiritual feet to be able to walk into trust. And it takes place on four different surfaces. So, number one, the boardwalk. The Portuguese Camino walks on a boardwalk that parallels the coast. And on it, you can see this absolutely gorgeous view of the beach and the coastline running all the way up into Spain. It's like some 57 miles up to Spain that you can see. The wooden boards are springy and they really help your tired legs continue to go. You walk by small, cute fishing villages, cute cafes with great espresso, uh, festival cabanas with people who are outside having fun, playing in the sand. There's families. It's just super festive. There's a lot of joy. As I walked, I realized this is the way it feels like when you become a Christian for the first time. The walk is a bit easier. You feel like you have sort of spring in your step. There's a lot of joy. You see all kinds of connections of how you can connect to to God through worship, through his community, through serving. There's this sense that it's exciting and you can't wait to see what God is about to do. Now, occasionally, you come across this portion in the boardwalk that's thick with sand. Do you see those markers? Those are four feet high. So you start slogging through a little bit of difficulty, but right on the other side, you return to the boardwalk easy. It's brief, it's short, not a problem. I think many of us would love to recapture this sense of that spring in our step when we first began to follow Christ and everything was exciting. Worship music was exciting. Reading God's word was exciting. Coming into church was exciting. It was all exciting. You had this spring in your step and you could keep going. But... We totally don't learn trust there. It's a great place to start, but it's not the end of our journey. Now, the second service, the surface I began to walk on was something called cobblestones. So as you leave the comfort of the boardwalk, the next steps are very jarring. Cobblestones are a bear to walk on. They are uneven, and people twist ankles and knees, and they are super hard on your feet, and your legs get really tired. As I walked, I began to picture these cobblestones as the books of the Bible or the different practices that we learn along the way. It's like 
stepping onto Genesis to learn how God began this whole story, and then stepping onto Revelation to see how he ends this whole story, and then stepping on all different places, all in between, so you can get a big grasp of what God is all about. Now, sometimes we feel like we are twisting an ankle or a knee on parts of their story because there's parts with injustice, there's parts with violence, there's parts with confusion, there's parts with idolatry. We see ourselves there, we don't see ourselves there. Uh, we don't understand the difference between the Old Testament or the New Testament, and we come away with lots and lots of questions. But when we stick to it and we navigate these cobblestones, our faith begins to come to life. We begin to recognize how God talked in the past, how he acted in the past, and then we begin to see that maybe God also can talk to us in the present and act in the present as well. It's like God uses his words to make us into living stones. Not dead cobblestones, but living stones. The Apostle Peter says it like this, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for greater honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What more, you are his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now many people spend their entire Christian life stuck on the boardwalk. They don't want to venture into the cobblestones because Leviticus is boring. <laughs> Psalms may put you to sleep. Ezekiel is just plain weird. And you don't understand this thing called prayer. Don't be this person. Don't be this person that skims off just a bit of God's word by showing up, hearing a sermon every once in a while, or using your calendar as a verse of the day. That's not walking on cobblestones. That's just skimming off the top, and you're missing out on so much more. Also, don't be the person who just accumulates cobblestones, knows everything about the Bible so that you are really good at Bible trivia, but you never put it into practice. So once you begin to work with these cobblestones and you start to see what God is doing and saying, you then can move on to the third surface, which is the highway. For three days of my Camino, I spent hours walking on a highway. This was my view. It was so boring. It was a bit scary too, cars sped by, bicyclists sped by. All I could do was make up sermons like this one in my head. But the highway is super important for us to develop our trust in God. It's where we learn that all that we've learned in his word gets to be put into practice. Things like patience, forgiveness, understanding, faith. 
we read and we get information from God's word that he says, now put it into practice. You can't develop trust or patience or faith in just one day. Trust me, I've tried. You can't understand forgiveness unless you actually practice giving it and receiving it. The highway is the way God develops our endurance. Yes, there is a danger that you'll get hit by a car or a bike along the way. Uh, These hittings happen usually when you're um, actively involved, learning something like patience or trust, or, or you're actively in community and someone wounds you or hurts you from church leadership or from your C group or another Christian friend, and you wanna quit. Like, this is not for me. Misunderstandings, differences in how you understand God's word, cultural influences, the political scenes, all the divisions that come at us, they try to wedge their way into this process of endurance. They try to derail us because the spiritual realm is still active and trying. They can't rob you from God, but they're gonna try to get you to stop. But on the highway, it's where God's transformation actually becomes our spiritual DNA. To be more like him, it's actually working, he's actually working his stuff in us and changing us, and so that it becomes part of us. Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like you are walking on a highway, a long highway of trusting or learning patience or learning something that he's asked you to learn. All I can say is keep going. Don't stop. Take a breath and and ask somebody to walk with you in it. Get a prayer partner. Share with somebody in your C group that this is where you are and you need them to walk alongside. This is the way trust is really built into us. Now the fourth surface is the Rocky Mountain Pass. As I left the highway, I looked ahead and I realized the way forward was over a mountain and the path ahead was rocky and straight up. And you can see from these stones, there is these ruts that have been carved in from the first century Roman army that went this way. Physically, this is where my endurance and my training kicked in. Physically, I had to keep going. I had to keep moving myself upward. But spiritually, it's the same exact thing. Endurance and training on cobblestones can move us upward. God uses everything, our barred walks of joy in the beginning, the cobblestones of study and prayer and worship and Christian community, develop these spiritual muscles that can endure and lead us upward. This is when you realize that you know Jesus that you can hear his voice. His words come back to you and you're led forward. This is when you hear affirmations like, you're doing a good job, well done, keep going. I love you. 
It's here where you enter the darkest of nights or the blackest of days, and you realize the purpose for all these other paths. That God has made a way for you, and he's calling you upward to himself so that you can experience a deeper trust to hear him more fully. When you trust that God has made a way, that Jesus actually was the way to enter into God's family, that he's prepared a place for you, if he's done all those things and that's a promise and a truth, then he can also walk with you today through your your circumstances, through the other areas that he wants to develop. I really think that one of our biggest fears about walking into faith is because you think, if I practice trust, if he is trying to build trust in me, I'm a little scared because then he might, I might need it for another time that it's gonna be a really big trust. So sometimes we actually wanna avoid the small trust and learning it because then he can't dump the big one on us. But that's not how this works. So where are you today? Are you finding yourself on the boardwalk, taking a step forward um, and needing a little bit more than what you're doing right now? Do you feel like you're in a season of joy? That's great. See, all these paths actually go over and over and over again. You might walk them and then you find yourself back on the boardwalk and you're like, woohoo, this feels great. But God wants us to learn something new. Maybe you're on the cobblestones. Maybe you need to take a step into what God is is calling you to learn something new, to experience a deeper understanding of prayer or worship or one of the books of the Bible or or his, his word as a whole. Maybe you're on the highway. Maybe you are experiencing a long walk that you need endurance for. Maybe he's developing in you a Christ-like character. All I can say is stay with your practices, stay with within what God is doing, speak to him often, uh, because when he's ready and he says you're ready, he will move you on. Are you, do you find yourself right now on the mountain path? Do you feel like everything you've been doing is having you climb this upward hill and it's hard, hard work? Twice a month, I'm actually part of a network of disciplers who uh, meet via Zoom from around um, the country, and we keep each other accountable. We ask each other hard questions like, how is your prayer life? What have you been reading? What is God saying to you? And are you responding? It's a way to keep me accountable and each other accountable. We all need this. We all need people in our lives that will keep us accountable. We'll ask those questions. What is God saying? What did God say to you today? And what did you do? How did you respond? So if you don't have that and you find yourself on this mountain path, you need it. You need it because not only can you be accountable, you can enter into God's work of helping others be accountable of others growing and moving forward and upward. Today we uh, get to celebrate um, the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. And I want you to think as you walk up here, what path are you on? 
I want you to remember that this is the way that Jesus moved from our death into life with him. He moved from his death to resurrection, so we too can move from death to resurrection. This is the way that he entered and defeated sin and death. Jesus made the way through his body and his blood. And all he's doing is asking us to come, hold out our hands, and receive it. This is an act of trust. Because if Jesus said this, then we trust that Jesus will do all that he promised. For as long as we're alive, we're going to be walking these paths over and over. And so... Every single time you find yourself on a path, look down. Right now, we're on carpet. Today, you can leave on carpet, but as soon as you walk out that building, you're gonna hit a path. 